So we are continuing in our series this summer on the attributes of God, and I was thinking this week about what were our topic for today, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be awesome if, if you could know everything? Like, if you could have the, the superpower of being all-knowing, to be omniscient, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be pretty sweet to know everything, right? I mean, if you knew everything that happened in the past, you could describe and explain and warn people not to avoid those mistakes. If you knew the future, you could, you could warn people of, of pending disaster, right? If you had all knowledge about the body, about diseases, you could, you could help find a cure for cancer. I mean, not to mention just a pretty cool party trick, you know, you walk into a party and there's a bowl of grapes and you could just immediately say there's 213 grapes in that bowl, you know, and, or you could say it's going to rain in 37 seconds, you know, you could, you could sort of show off a little bit. Of course, you could play the lotto, you could play the stock market, right? You could make lots of money if you had all knowledge, if you were omniscient, But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, would you really want to be all-knowing? Right? Would you want to know what other people were thinking all the time, particularly what they're thinking about you? It'd be a lot of responsibility to have that kind of knowledge. What if you didn't use it appropriate? Right? Would you really want to know the future? What if you knew the future? What if you knew harm that was going to come upon your loved ones, but you didn't have the ability to stop it? That would be terrifying. See, I think for finite humans to be omniscient, to me, actually sounds like a curse the more I thought about it. But God, God is all-knowing, but for an all-powerful supreme being, it's an attribute that is a blessing. See, because not only does God have all knowledge, He also has the wisdom to know what to do with the knowledge, and He has the power to be able to act upon it. And so I am very, very glad this morning that God is all-knowing and not me or you. So we are in this series on the attributes of God, and we've seen that they all kind of overlap, right? Each attribute, it's hard to talk about one without talking about the others. They work in unity and consistency. In fact, the very first week we began our series, we talked about the attribute of of God as being consistent and being trinity, right? That God is, is one being, that all of these various attributes exist simultaneously, equally. They exist and operate in unity within the person of God. God, who is three persons, eternally exists. As God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Pastor Matt taught us about the eternality and spirituality of God. That he is a self-existent being, a spiritual being. That his existence and his attributes are not dependent upon anything else other than himself. He exists outside of time and space. He has no beginning or end. He's spiritually present everywhere in the universe at the same time. Pastor Matt also taught us about the truthfulness and faithfulness of God. That all that God is and does and says is true. He's always faithful to himself. He's always faithful to what he says and what he has promised. And then last week, Pastor Ed taught us about the unchangeableness and the activity of God. That God in his being, all of his attributes, his eternal plan and purposes are immutable, unchangeable. And yet God is continually, actively interacting with his creation, responding to his creatures, feeling emotions. So I'm glad that I can go away on vacation and we can be so well fed. It makes me feel like I should go away on vacation more and let these brothers preach And so today we're going to look at the knowledge and wisdom of God, kind of two attributes that are related as they all are in a way. The reality that God does know all things and he knows all things fully. God has all wisdom. He always knows what is good, what is right, what is best for him, for his creation. You remember we talked about the communicable attributes of God and the in 
communicable attributes, those attributes that God communicates or shares with us to a more of a degree, and those that are incommunicable that he shares with us to a lesser degree. So knowledge and wisdom would be considered communicable attributes because we can have knowledge, we can have wisdom, not of course to the degree that God does, but we can reflect God in his image by being knowledgeable, by being wise, and so we'll unpack that this morning as well. So God, the knowledge of God, this word omniscience comes from the Latin for all and knowledge. God has all knowledge. Author Pink defines God's omniscience this way. God is omniscient. He knows everything, everything possible, everything actual, all events and all creations of the past, the present and the future. He is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven, in earth, and in hell. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Nothing is forgotten by him. The scripture says that God is perfect in knowledge. Scripture says he knows everything. He knows you completely. In fact, he has every hair on your head. And for some of us, those are dwindling. It's getting easier for God to count. He has every hair numbered. That's the extent of his knowledge. He knows us completely. We don't even know ourselves completely. God not only knows us, but he knows himself, which is no easy thing because he's an eternal, boundless being, and yet he knows himself fully. He knows everything and never forgets anything. Now, of course, the scripture says that God doesn't remember our sins, that by his grace, when we're forgiven, he doesn't remember our sins. But that's not in the sense that God has lost those memories. It's in the sense that in his grace, he chooses not to think about our wrongs, As he relates to us, as he interacts with us, he chooses not to remember them. God knows all things, and guess what? That includes your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you're thinking about the fact that I said he just knows what you're thinking. Right? He knows what you say before you're going to say it. He knows your future choices. The Bible says God knows everything that comes into your mind. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him, Jesus said. Now, despite God knowing with certainty all of our thoughts and our choices, we do still maintain a will. We have a true will. We have a voluntary will. Right? We execute choices based upon our own desires. And so God has has set up the universe in, in his divine power and wisdom such that we think, we desire, we decide, and we act. And all of those choices are known by God, in fact, ordained by God as part of his sovereign plan for all things. We have our own will in the midst of God's knowledge. Now, I would have to say that it's not ultimately a, a free will. It's not free in the ultimate sense that, that we as humans want it to be. Why? Because we're not free to do whatever we want. Okay? I, I can't levitate right now just because I want to. We are limited. Limited by our sin. Limited by our finiteness. Okay? I'm not an infinite being. Limited by our mortality. If I want to if I wanna play catch with, with my sons... In, in 75 years, I'm limited in my ability to do that, right? And we're limited by the will of God. So God knows all things, including your thoughts and your choices, not undermining your own true voluntary will, but God's knowledge is perfect. And again, we've seen that, that all of the attributes of God are in unity, in consistency with one another, that each of these attributes, in a sense, rely upon the other. It's impossible to really talk about one of God's attributes in isolation because they're interdependent. And this is certainly the case when we talk about God's omniscience this morning. See, his omniscience is interwoven with his 
omnipresence and his omnipotence. That means that God knows everything. He is present everywhere and he has every power. And those specifically, those attributes are very much interrelated. See, God knows what is happening. He has full knowledge of what's happening at all times and in all places because he is present at all times and all places. There's nothing that escapes his knowledge because he's there. And because he's all-powerful, because he's the sovereign king over every molecule, the one who has divinely ordained all things which come to pass, he can know all things with certainty. Now, some theologians and scholars, even Christian theologians and scholars, would say that, yes, God is all-knowing, yes, God is all-powerful, but he doesn't actually know the future. He can't control the future. Maybe he knows it, but he doesn't have full control over it. But God couldn't know the future if he didn't have complete sovereign control over the future. We're going to talk next week about God's power and God's sovereignty. But for now, we can say that God's knowledge of the future is complete, is certain, is accurate, because the future depends entirely upon himself. The future is not uncertain. God's knowledge is perfect because his, his omniscience is combined with his omnipotence. He's all-knowing because he is all-powerful, and that includes past, present, and future. To help unpack this, I want to look now at Psalm 139. Open up your Bibles, if you would, please, to Psalm 139. We're going to read the first 18 verses, and here the psalmist is just gushing, overflowing, spilling with praise, with awe, with worship of God, because he is, and we're going to see this triplet. We're going to see him praise God because God is all-knowing, God is all-present, and God is all-powerful, and we see how they work together. Listen, if you would, to the Word of God. Follow along if you have it. The Word of God says this in Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not too dark for you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wondrous are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Friends, the psalmist is recognizing that God knows all things, but then he's honing in on the most beautiful, most powerful, most most significant part of, of God's knowledge. He knows you. Right? I mean, yeah, it's cool that God knows every molecule in the universe and, and God, God knows everything that's happened in the past. God can know the future, but, 
but he knows you. Verse 1 says, God, you have searched me and you know me fully. He goes on in verses 2 and following to say, look, God, you know when I sit down, when I get up, you know every word before I'm even going to say it. You know my thoughts, you know my path in life. In in verse 6, he's like, I'm just overwhelmed. This knowledge is is too wonderful. He then contemplates in verse 7 how God is present everywhere. That there's nowhere we can go to escape God. He's at the highest height, the deepest depth. He's in heaven, he's in death, he's in the air, the sea, the darkest night, the brightest day. God is there, he's present, and he knows us. And then in verse 13, the psalmist contemplates God's power. He created us, he knitted us in the womb. Not only is his knowledge too wonderful for us to comprehend, but his power, his works are wonderful. And then in verse 16, he returns to praising God for his knowledge. Not just general knowledge, but his knowledge of of you and I. That God saw us before we were even formed, before we were born. Every day of our lives was known by him, written by him, planned by him, even before a single day happened. Now, Now look, if you're here today or you're listening to this and you're not following God, You may very well be thinking to yourself, if this is true, if there really is a being that knows my thoughts, that knows everything about me, that's terrifying. And and if you don't follow the Lord, you might be feeling very uncomfortable right now, very uneasy. This whole thing might feel very invasive and intrusive. A being that that sees inside my head, inside my heart, that knows what I'm going to do and say before I do it, that's, that's pretty uncomfortable. But for those that do follow the Lord, For those that have come to him and submitted to him and love him. It's a huge comfort to be known. To be known. Now, to to be known by another human being can be scary, right? Maybe you have a spouse or maybe a best friend that knows you better than any other person on the face of the earth. But there's still a lot that you don't know about them, right? My, My wife and I discover things that we didn't know about each other feels like pretty regularly and there are some things that i kind of don't want her to know i'd rather those things just stay hidden right why because our fear is if somebody truly knows us what they won't love us they won't approve of us they'll judge us they'll look down on us they'll think less of us but here's the amazing thing about the knowledge of god he knows all of your faults all of your failures he knows every sin and he still chose you he still loves you in christ he still carries you into his kingdom Despite everything that he knows about you, the things that, that you would be ashamed if others knew. But not only does he know your faults and your failures, he knows all the wonderful things about you. Those things that nobody else notices, those things that at night you lay in bed and you think, my kids had no idea that I did that for them today. Or you think, my, my wife didn't realize you know, how I was praying for her, didn't realize that I went behind the scenes and talked to the kids. And you feel like, I'm unappreciated you ever feel that way? Go to work. Nobody really knows my value or you come home. Nobody really appreciates me. You feel like there's all these unseen things you do around the house or doing your relationships or you do maybe in ministry. Guess what? Those things are not unseen by God. He knows them. He values you and he appreciates you for all of your gifts, all of your strengths, all of those unseen things. And the next time you do something that's unseen and you think, man, nobody's ever going to know this and you feel like discouraged about it remember the lord knows he knows your faults and your failures and he loves you anyway and he knows all of your strengths and gifts and contributions and he celebrates and values and appreciates you for all the ways 
that you serve. And God knows all of your thoughts. He knows all of your dreams. He knows all of your worries. You ever have that experience where you try to explain something to somebody else that you're excited about or that you're worried about and they just look at you like, that's not really a big deal. You shouldn't be so worried or, or, okay, why are you so excited about that? And you're like, no, no, you don't get it. God gets it. He gets why you're anxious when your spouse doesn't. He gets what you're excited about in ministry when the other people on your team seem to feel flat. He understands why the things that are important to you are so important because he knows you. And, and, and not only does he know you, but in light of those things, in light of those fears and worries and, and dreams and passions, God guides, instructs, and prepares what lies ahead in light of those things. Because he made you with those unique ways, and so he is guiding and preparing your life in light of your, yes, your, your fears and your worries, but also your hopes and your dreams. All of those things God knows, and he's taking into account. Again, verse 16 of Psalm 139, God says, or we say, that, that your eyes, the Lord's eyes, saw my unformed substance. In his book were written every one of my days, when as yet there was none of them. And so we say with the psalmist in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, that the Lord knows us. Not only does he know you perfectly and love you perfectly, not only does he know all that you have in your heart and guide your life accordingly, but God also has all wisdom. And so we're talking not only about the knowledge of God, but now the wisdom of God. See, God doesn't just know all things in the sense of, of memorizing a bunch of information. He knows how to interpret the information, you might say. See, wisdom is is taking knowledge and then harnessing that knowledge to the right end, okay? Wisdom is taking all the facts and assessing the best goal, assessing the best means to achieve that outcome in light of all the facts. That's, That's wisdom. See, God knows all things, and so he's able to guide all of creation with wisdom and with justice. He's able to take all the information that he has, hundreds of thousands of millions of pieces of data and information, he's able to sift it down and make wise judgments about what's right and wrong and good and evil. He can discern the best course of action for every person in every moment, in every time, in every place. Because he's wise. He's not just knowledgeable. He's all, all wise. He knows what's best for himself, for his children, and for all of creation. And just as God couldn't be all-knowing without also being all-powerful, God's wisdom is also necessarily tied to his power. Wisdom and power must go together. In fact, they, they do go together perfectly in the being of God. You read throughout the Old Testament, and often you read this pair where people praise God for his wisdom and his might. God be praised for your wisdom and your might. We see it in Job and in in Daniel. Wisdom and might go together. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, explains why wisdom and power must be coupled together. He says this, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom without power would be pathetic. A broken reed. Power without wisdom would be merely frightening. But in God, boundless wisdom and endless power are united, and this makes him utterly worth, utterly worthy of our fullest trust. 
Thank God that he is not just wise, but he's powerful. Thank God that he's not just powerful, but he's wise. And so we can and should trust him in his wisdom and power. Trust him in his plan, not only for all people, but his plan for you. And, and as I said earlier, while wisdom and knowledge are ultimately fully attributes of God, they, they can and they are reflected in us. We are created in his image, and so we can reflect God with a certain degree of knowledge, a certain degree of wisdom. Nobody is all-knowing, right? But, but our minds are pretty amazing. What, what the human mind can do, even like a regular person, okay? But, but then you've got these like prodigies, these geniuses, right? I, I did a little research. Many people think that the smartest person to ever live was this guy, William James Sidus, born in 1898. A normal IQ is about 100. They estimate that he had about three times the IQ, more, smarter than Albert Einstein. He excelled in, in, in math and language. 18 months old, mom and dad find him reading the New York Times. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Internet's making it up, but. By the time he was six, he spoke fluently six languages. By the time he was 11, he was enrolled in Harvard. Of course, it did take him five years to graduate. But, but what's interesting is that, is that this, this man, William James Sidus, never accomplished much. He wrote a few books, but he, in, for the most part, lived in seclusion, uh, left, left academia. And, and I think to a, a large degree, his... his, his extraordinary knowledge was a burden because I, I think he didn't have the wisdom to go with it. And so he lived this life of seclusion. He died at, at age 46 of a brain hemorrhage. I guess his overdeveloped brain just eventually got the better of him. But it, it's a bit of a sad life, actually. He, it's almost like he had too much knowledge for his own good, too much that he didn't know how to handle it, didn't know how to deal with it. So we do and we can reflect God with our knowledge and we can and should study and learn and grow and certainly understand the, the, the scriptures and, and, and understand science and people and society and understand history and, 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 and develop and grow and contribute to the glory of God. But we'll never have full knowledge as God does. And in the same way, we can have wisdom. We can not just know the right things, but we can make discernment and judgments and, and act wisely God can make us wise. What does Proverbs 9.10 say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You want to grow in wisdom? You want to be a wise person? Fear God. Follow God. Submit to God. And ask God. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If, if you want to be a wise person, if you want to have, have wisdom and, 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 and discernment to live life, to raise your kids, to figure out what to do with your life, to figure out uh, who to marry, to figure out how to handle your finances, go to the one who has all wisdom and ask him, God, help me with this sp specific problem. And just in general, make me a wise person. I don't want to be a fool. And the scriptures say that God's generous and he'll give to those who ask. We find that to be true with King Solomon. You remember the story of Solomon, right? King David became king over the 12 tribes of Israel. God had said that through his descendant, there would always be someone sitting on the throne, that the Messiah would come. His son Solomon becomes king. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, it says that Solomon loved the Lord and walked in his ways. And everything else we read about the story of Solomon, you got to begin there. He loved the Lord and he walked in the ways of God. 
And so the Lord appears to Solomon one night and says to Solomon, ask whatever is on your heart. Right? It's kind of like this genie moment. God doesn't usually do this, but he says to Solomon, you get one wish, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon says to God, you can read it there in 1 Kings 3, he says, you know what, I feel like a little kid. And, and I've, been, I've been asked to rule the nation, your people, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially says, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to lead this great people. And Solomon says, God, with my one wish, I want wisdom and understanding so that I know how to lead. And God is so impressed that Solomon didn't ask for long life or for riches or for, for military victory. He's so impressed. He says, Solomon, I will give you more wisdom than anybody has ever had before or since. And on top of that, I'm going to give you riches and honor. And, and Solomon, we read in the scriptures, was renowned across the world and leaders from across Israel and kings and queens from across the world came to Solomon to hear his wisdom about their governance, about their, about their authority, about life, and, and to hear Solomon solve their problems, speak and give the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God to the world, I should say. And it all began ultimately with Solomon's humility. With Solomon saying, I feel like a little kid. I don't know how to lead the people. And he began with the love of God, the fear of God, and asking God for wisdom. And you and I can and need to do the same desperately every day. Parents, I don't know how many days do you wake up and you just feel like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. But there's, there's, there's such little chance I'm going to be able to successfully raise these children. God, I need your wisdom. You go to work and you feel overwhelmed. Those of you that serve as elders, as deacons, as life group facilitators in ministry roles, and you, you feel overwhelmed by, by the pressures and the hardships of ministry. You, you read the news and you think, God, how can I live a faithful life as a Christian in this world? How can I go to work amongst co-workers that, that don't believe you, that are hostile toward the Christian faith? I need wisdom, God. And so we go to God and we humbly ask and we cry out to him for wisdom, for all the, these little dilemmas, all these little trials and hardships of life. Some of them are big and, and some of them are inconveniences. Some of you guys know that we were away for a few weeks out west and we had the opportunity to go out there and rent an RV, did about 1,100 miles and saw, and saw a Zion and Bryce in the Grand Canyon and kayaked on the Colorado and went to Sedona. And we had this RV, never driven an RV before. And it was a rental. Thursday night, we picked it up on Sunday, Thursday night. We put the, the two slides out as we normally did, or excuse me, Thursday yeah, Wednesday night. Thursday afternoon, we go to, to bring them back in so we can go drive up and see the Grand Canyon. And, and the one in the back's not coming in. Now, this is not a moral issue, right? But I got to figure out what to do now with my family, the six of us in this campground. This slide that you can't drive it that way, right? And so all of these things, come, what, you know, what, what do you do? What, what, is, what is a life of wisdom and integrity how do you proceed? And, and so there's the rental agency, there's the owner, there's the manufacturer. Which one of those three do we call? You start with the rental agency, they send you the tech support, no help. Okay, I, I find the manufacturer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, wisdom led me to say, I'm going to call the manufacturer, try to see if I can do the manual reset, do the manual override to get this thing in. What, what do you tell the kids, right? I mean, there, there's wisdom involved in how I explain this to my four kids. Well, it's going to be a few hours before we can go see the Grand Canyon. I realize we came halfway across the country, but we've got to figure this out. Do we sit and wait for a repairman? Do we call a taxi? How do I stay calm, right? There's a certain, a certain amount of, of, of wisdom, and here maybe wisdom kind of interacts with, with, with morality, right? Because it's easy to get flustered, to get angry, to get upset, to get irritated, but, but, but wisdom leads you to, 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 
try to seek the Lord to stay calm and not overreact. Eventually, again, called some numbers, swapped out some fuses. I, wisdom led me to say, I'm going to go get some help. Rallied some other guys after I talked to the manufacturer, and, and we pushing on this thing to try to manually push the slide in, right? Eventually, I, I don't know how the thing eventually went back in, and then what was perhaps the biggest dilemma of the whole trip, now it's back in. Do I risk putting it back out again that night, <laughs> Right? And wisdom led me to say, you know what? We've got two more days. We're leaving it in. We'll just have a narrower hallway and, and have to crawl into bed uh, a little less conveniently. And of course, there are dozens and dozens of those types of situations we have to deal with on a daily basis. And, and some of them are minor inconveniences. Some of them are major life struggles with, with, with finances, with health, with parenting, with spirituality. Lord, make us wise. Right? You can have all the knowledge in the world without knowing how to interpret it, how to sift it, without being able to put together an action plan. We're crippled. And so we need God's wisdom in our lives, and it begins with fearing the Lord. It begins with asking, say, God, please be generous. And we can learn a lot as we look to see God and how he orchestrates and how he manages and how he cares for the world and his people. We can learn a lot about what it means to live wisely by looking at our Heavenly Father. One of the things we notice as we look at God is that he deals with each person differently. Every believer, every non-believer, he deals with, he interacts with uniquely. You think about parents, think about your own children. And yes, there are certain principles that remain constant with each and every one of your kids. It doesn't matter gender or age or life phase. There are certain principles. But a good parent, a good parent relates to his kids differently in different situations depending upon who they are. And you take into account their personality. You take into account their needs. You take into account what they're strong in, what they're weak in. You look at how they receive affection and you, you relate to them differently. And we see in God's wisdom that he is continually and constantly doing that with every single man, woman, and child he's created. He's relating with us differently. That's why all of our lives don't look the same. You ever think about that? If God didn't act by this principle of wisdom, we would all be, you know, born on the same day, be converted on the same day, get married on the same day. I mean, everything would just be the same, and and clearly that's not the case. See, wisdom requires that circumstances are different in our lives. That God brings revelation into our hearts differently at different times. The spiritual formation, for those that know and grow in Christ, our spiritual formation is, is very different, unique to each person. And you can look and and you say, this person seems to have a smooth, easy life, and yet others face hardship upon hardship. Friends, that's the wisdom of God. And I can't explain to you the meaning or the intention behind each and every one of those hardships, hardships, but but I I believe that God is all-knowing, and I believe that he is all-wise and he is all-powerful. Some people pray and get it in a day. Some people wait for years and years. Why, why does God treat and respond differently? It's his wisdom. It's his plan and his purpose. Some people battle temptation for years, while others seem to find victory relatively easily. Some receive good health, while others battle years of, of physical suffering. Some people come to Christ as children, and they walk faithfully with the, with the Lord their whole lives. Others sort of trudge through life trials and and their own self-inflicted pain and the hardships of the world and it's not until the very end of their life that they come to christ why 
God's wisdom to treat and plan and interact with his children differently. Some people walk in daily intimacy with God and it seems like their relationship is easy and they hear the voice of the Lord and they hunger for scriptures and their prayer life seems to flow and others struggle to hear the Lord, struggle to know God in faith. And all of this can be frustrating. It's incredibly bewildering if you ever look at it, try to figure it out. But, but can I reinforce today that God knows what he's doing? His wisdom is beyond our ability to understand or comprehend. And in his wisdom, he takes into account what it's going to take to to accomplish his purpose in the universe, in every period of history, in every place on earth, and in every man, woman, and child. And in his wisdom, that's going to look different. In his wisdom, it might be hard. In his wisdom, it might take longer than you think it should, or you would do it if, if you were doing it. But guess what? Thank God that we're not. Thank God that it's his plan, his wisdom, leading and guiding us. And so we can see God's wisdom at work in the day-to-day of life, and sometimes you can look back after a hardship or after a tragedy or after a prayer that was answered immediately or a prayer that took years to be answered. Sometimes you can look back and you can say, now I see why God did that, right? My, my, My wife and I's plan was to have our children close together. We wanted to just, you know, every 18, 24 months have a kid. There's over three years between Oliver and, 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 or between Simon and Oliver. And, and we were frustrated, we discouraged, we started going, going to see doctors, we didn't know what was going on. Now, I don't know all of the reasons why the Lord put three years between our first two sons, but I do know this. I do know that if we had gotten pregnant when we wanted to get pregnant, we would have had a baby right at the same period of time when our dear, dear friends, William and Amy Stackler, had their six-month-old child die. And we were able to sit with them and walk with them in the hours, literally, well, minutes, actually, in the minutes, hours, days, and months after that happened. And for months, they couldn't be around babies, couldn't be around anybody that had babies. We were able to walk with them by God's grace in the midst of it. That's probably just a fraction of, of God's plan and God's wisdom. And how many times is he doing all of those things in our lives that we don't see and we don't comprehend? And so we can see the wisdom of God at work in the day-to-day of life. And whether or not you can see it, you have to trust it, you have to submit to it, you have to believe in it. But ultimately, the pinnacle of God's wisdom is, is really not in the, the day-to-day of life. It's the pinnacle of God's wisdom is on display in the gospel. Amen. Because wisdom, I mean, you could really say that wisdom is like figuring out dilemmas, okay? The greatest dilemma that there ever was is how to deal with us. <laughs> God had this dilemma because he created these children, children that were sinners, and, and sinners deserve judgment. God is, is good and holy and righteous, and he cannot let evil go in, unpunished. But his love, his love for his people was driving him to adopt into his family. So how do you, how do you love and adopt people that, you're, that you're, you're judging and punishing? God had this dilemma. How, how can God both be just and be merciful? How could God save sinners as well as punish evil? You think, well, that's easy. God just send a savior. Okay, send a savior. But who? Who can save people in this dilemma and and pour out mercy and fulfill justice? You say, well, it'd have to be a man, a man that could die for the sin of the world. Yes, only a man can die, but only God could overcome death. You say, well, it has to be God to save the people because only God could live perfectly to rescue them from their sin. Yes, but only a man could stand as a representative before God and offer the perfect record 
of his perfect life to God in our place. You say, well, it would have to be a man to save the people because, because sin can only be transferred onto a human being. And, and part of judgment is to transfer the sin of the world onto a human being. But only God could bear the eternal penalty once that sin was transfer, transferred onto a man. Only God could stand as, as a substitute and bear the eternal penalty for sin. And so what do we see? That in God's wisdom, he figured out this dilemma. It probably didn't take him nearly as long as it just did for me to explain it. That salvation can only be accomplished through a Savior that was both fully God and fully man. And we see this, this amazing wisdom in God sending a Savior that had the divine nature and a human nature. To die on a cross, to rise from the dead. The wisdom of the cross. Look, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at this and unpack it for a few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see the, the, the beauty and the glory, but catch this, the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of God's plan of salvation, the pinnacle of his wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at, at verse 18, we see here unpacking what the cross is and, and, how, and how different people respond to the wisdom of the cross. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so we see there in verse 18, look, the gospel, this, this gospel of the cross, it's utter foolishness. It's utter foolishness to unbelievers that are still perishing. After all, what is the cross? The crucifixion, Roman crucifixion, was the most horrible, most despicable form of criminal execution probably ever been invented. How on earth could that be used for salvation? Why would God use something so despicable, so shameful, in the culture you couldn't even speak about execution, and somehow it becomes the center of our faith? See, for those who are being saved, the gospel of the cross is the power of God. We read there in verse 19 that, that the world operates by their own standard of wisdom. Their own sense of what's wise and what's foolish, what makes sense. And the ways of God don't make sense to people of the world. But God says he is tearing down the wisdom and the intelligence of the world. And so we read in verse 20, who thinks he's wise? Who thinks he's a teacher? You think you're a good debater? God has made the wisdom of the world foolishness because the wisdom of the world brings no good end. See, in God's eternal wisdom, we read in verse 21 that he's made it such that, that humans couldn't reach God on their own. They couldn't fix the dilemma of sin, the curse of sin, our, our separation from God, our empty, broken, dead hearts, 
The wisdom of the world couldn't reach God. And God designed it, listen, God designed things specifically such that nobody could figure it out. No wise person, no knowledgeable person could understand how to overcome their own immoral dark heart and reach God on their own. God designed salvation. It says that it pleased him. It pleased him to design salvation such that we have to believe a gospel that is foolish by the world's standards. You say, well, I would have done it differently. I would have made the gospel so that it made good sense to people of the world. Okay, well, that's why God's running things and not you. He says, no, no. The world through its wisdom could not reach me. We believe a cross that is folly to the world's standards. See, by the standards of the world, here's wisdom. Wisdom is this. Try hard. You have a problem? Do your best. Believe in yourself. Pull yourself up. If you fail, brush yourself off and go at it again. That's the wisdom of the world. And you can't hear God, see God, reach God. You can't figure out forgiveness. You can't weasel your way into God's family based upon try harder, do better, believe in yourself. The wisdom of God says this, and this is foolishness. Friends, listen, you say this to a secular person, they'll say you're nuts. The wisdom of God says you are broken beyond repair. And you are not and never will be good enough to reach God. The only thing that you can do is fall down. Fall down and cry out in desperation for mercy. Rely on something outside of yourself. And trust. Trust in God's grace. Trust in God's love. Don't trust in anything in your own heart or your own life. Because you cannot earn a place in God's kingdom. You can only receive it in in humility because of God's lavish and abundant grace and love. Now here's the other thing about grace. Not only does it not make sense to the wisdom of the world, which says try harder, do better, but grace doesn't seem fair. Why would God give good gifts to people that don't want it and don't deserve it? That's not fair. He should give it to people that try the best. Yep. Grace doesn't make sense and grace is not fair. That's the wisdom of God. And it seems foolish to us, but God gets the glory. And so verse 22 says you share this with a religious person, in this context a Jew, and they're going to they're gonna demand and to say, you know what, this doesn't make sense, I want a miracle. I'm going to demand a miracle if I'm ever going to believe in this, in this gospel. And so this crucified Messiah that we believe in is just a stumbling block to religious people. And you can certainly see that with, with, with Jews, with, with Muslims. Verse 23 says, you try sharing this with a Gentile, with a secular, unbelieving person, an intellectual person, and they will demand a path to salvation that involves wisdom, that makes sense. A crucified Savior? Foolishness. You tell me something about religion, something about philosophy, something about living life that makes sense, that's wise, that I will believe. And so Christ crucified just seems foolish to a secular person. But verse 24 says that Christ... In his death and his resurrection, Christ is the power of God. Christ is the, the wisdom of God. Even the foolishness of God, as though God could be foolish, but even the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Even the weakness of God, as though God could be weak, is more powerful than the strength of the best human. And so we, we find ourselves today, where we've been so many times before, at the foot of the cross, peering into the empty tomb, thanking God for his knowledge, thanking God for his wisdom, thanking God for his 
grace. And so I hope this morning that you are awed. I hope that you are impressed by the knowledge and wisdom of God. But more than that, I hope that you are are driven to trust him, to trust him again. And so, friends, listen, as the worship team comes, I call you to put your trust, put your faith in him. You know, we celebrate July 4th as Independence Day. Can can we take that and, and can we put some godly wisdom in that? Because the only independence that we truly have comes through the sacrifice of Christ, independence from sin, from death. Independence from the, from, the, from the lies and the hardship of the world. Independence from the, the grip of Satan. And there are some here today that, that walked in here enslaved, enslaved to your own sin, your own doubt, your own, your own pain. And so as the worship team comes, we're going to have some people to, to come up and, and, and pray with us. To pray with you. And they'll be available here on the sides as we worship, as we give glory to God. I want to call you and, and exhort you to come up and receive prayer that you could walk in the wisdom of God, that you could walk free from whatever you came in here enslaved to, that today would not be only a day to to celebrate our nation, but to celebrate the spiritual independence we have in God. And so, friends, trust in the wisdom of God. Trust in the wisdom of God displayed in the cross. Trust in the wisdom of God to guide you every day. Stand with me if you would. Hear these words from Romans 11 as as the Apostle Paul just gushes, just gushes, giving praise to God for his wisdom. And and, and as we hear the word of God, as we worship together, be bold, be humble, come up and receive prayer. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.